Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, we're continuing on a series called Buckle Up. And, and we've titled it that because we all understand that man... This has been a a unique year, wouldn't you say? And I feel like the next two or three weeks are going to be, wow, it's going to be an interesting Thanksgiving, interesting Christmas, interesting New Year. And there's a sense that we're on a ride right now, whether you want to be or not, so buckle up. And today we're going to talk about being buckled up together. Um, and our text will be in, Eph- in Ephesians. Now, here's, here's, here's the deal with this. You and I understand that if you're a believer, if you're not, thanks for coming today. I'm glad you're here. But we understand that God is in control. If you have any faith in him at all, you understand that he's in control, right? That he is the one who is sovereign. And taking that step and trying to fully understand that in our current situation can be trying. Can anybody say amen? Amen. Amen. It's like uh, I was talking to the gang uh, the other day, and I said, you know, this event that has happened to the whole world has made it so that, you know, in the beginning, it looked like the target was moving, and you could kind of follow the target. Now, I said... Can you even see the target? <laughs> Do you even know where it is and what we're doing? I was talking to someone the other day who was working with us, and he said, you know, I just want to figure out a way to measure if I'm doing good or not. And I said, good luck. You know, because what has happened is disruptive. But the good news is, is that throughout history, disruption has come. Disruption will come again to us individually, as well as a community, as well as a whole nation and a world. But God himself is in control, and we have to trust and believe in that. Would you say this with me? This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I welcome all he has for me today. By his word, he guides me. By his spirit, he strengthens me. By his will, he's transforming me. I am his workmanship, his unique work of art, and may his will be done in me today, and I receive it by faith in Jesus' Jesus name. Amen. Scott McKnight, in his book, A Fellowship of Difference, states these words. He said, The church is God's world-changing social experiment to bring unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. When this happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are designed to be with God. The church is God's show and tell for the world to see how God wants us to live as a family. 
And here's the key today, okay? God, Jesus, brings peace where there once was no peace, okay? Jesus brings peace where there once was no peace, not on our terms. He makes peace on his own terms, not ours. We become peaceful when we bend our knee to the King of Kings, and until we accept his terms and provisions, there will be no peace in our lives. You see, God takes the church as his, his people, his experiment for the world. And he says, I'm going to take people from everywhere and I'm going to bring them all together. And though outside the boundaries of this place or this experiment, this group of people, there are differences that divide deeply. And you and I can understand today that there are differences in our nation that divide us and they run deep, don't they? Anybody say amen to that? We feel it. It's like every breath of air that you breathe in, you understand that this is a very critical time. And if this is a critical time, it's a critical time for the church. A place where we actually live out the peace by accepting Jesus' terms rather than our own ideas because he truly is that Prince of Peace. Lord, thank you for this morning. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for uh, the goodness that you continually pour out on our lives. We're so thankful, Lord, to be a part of a fellowship, even in a, especially in a time of crisis. Lord, we look to you. We trust in you. And we ask, Lord, that your perfect will be done in this place, in us. And we thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you, even though, Lord, we at times feel so undependable. Lord, help us to see how you would bring us together and stay together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. No more battle lines. Refugees. Look at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2. By now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near by his blood. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself a new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Okay, let's break this down. In Paul's worldview, in a Jewish worldview, there, the world was divided into two. You had those who were of Israel, 
who followed the, the one true God, Yahweh, Adonai, the Lord. And you had those who rejected him and didn't follow him. And therefore, the two were separated. They were separated. You had us and you had them. In the Gentile world, you had uh, everybody, and there were separate categories of various gods and people groups. But there was also an enmity against those who were Jewish. In one sense, those who were Jewish would say, well, we're not going to have anything to do with the Gentiles, their practices, all that they live for, the rejection of the one true creator, God. But at the same time, they were a scourge. The Jews were a scourge to the Gentiles and were treated poorly. Even today, it's interesting how our world continues to be anti-Semitic and it keeps popping up. It keeps popping up all over the world, even now in our own country. It's crazy. You know why? Because it's satanic. That's what it is. That's all it is. If you continually hate any particular group of people continually and persecute, there is a satanic element to it. So in, in Jesus, he said, I'm going to bring the world together. In Paul's worldview, it was the Jews, it was the Gentiles. And he says, Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to make it all one and together. You see, the Gentiles, in Paul's estimation here, were equivalent to refugees. You know, you've watched world news of the last five years, and there's, with all of the invasions into various countries around the world, it has created these large camps of refugees who are living and just, they just want a place to live and a place to land and a place to be home. And he says, now you have found a home in the Messiah in him because God is making a new people out of one. Our country's that way, isn't it? We, we have a, a history of people f coming from all different parts of the world. Many of us know folks who have come from different uh, countries, maybe your history of your grandparents or your parents, and, and they come here for a particular idea. And that's the idea we have in Christ, is that you're coming into a new place with, with a different culture, and then you want to be accepted into that culture. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Jesus brings us peace. Two divided into groups now become one. And what's the purpose it says here in the text? It's to create a new humanity in himself, making peace. One body brought together by his sacrifice, putting to death the natural hostilities of human beings. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The, the Messiah's message was this. It was peace to us. The Messiah, Jesus, gives us all the same access to the Father by who? By the Spirit. One Spirit. 
a holy household, a holy family. Verse 19, consequently, you're no longer foreigners or strangers or refugees, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of the household. You see, he's saying, look, the Messiah came. The Messiah was from the Jews. That was prophesied. And so he first came to his own, but created a whole new opening for the whole world in the Messiah. And he says, now you Gentiles, writing to the Ephesians, you're now being brought in, no longer spiritual refugees out out in the world, but brought in to God's purpose and plan, which began in the nation of Israel. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation, by the way, this is a new temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are being built together to become a dwelling place, a dwelling which God lives in his spirit. A little background. The temple had been built, but it was based upon the tabernacle, which was a temple, of, was a place of meeting, a tent of meeting. It was mobile, but eventually settled itself and with a permanent structure was built in Jerusalem, Mount Zion. With that, the whole nations of the world were to be able to come in that Israel would be a light Jerusalem would be a light to the whole world, but it never seemed to fit that. In fact, even in the time of Jesus, there was a separation court between the Jews and the Gentiles. And if a Gentile passed beyond a certain point, it would be at risk of death. There was a separation. You could come and it could be a house of all prayer, but there was a separation. There was a wall there. And he says, no longer is that the case. God is looking for something, it sounds like in this text, that is human. We think of church as oftentimes as a building, right? We think of a temple, it's a building, right? And that's good because we all go to sleep at night, hopefully by God's grace, in a building. So there's nothing wrong with buildings. There's nothing evil about them. But it sounds like here that he's looking for a building of human beings. And the foundation is the apostles. The foundation are the prophets who, who prophesied this beforehand. And Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. And everything else is built out of that. And God says, I want to live in this temple, a group of people. That's, that's the picture given here. A dwelling place... A dwelling place which God lives by his spirit. A place, okay, that there's no longer strangers. You're invited in. Different folks from different backgrounds. Open to everyone. He knows us. And these folks, let's say folks who really, uh, to the nominal Jewish mind at that time, would think, not these folks. 
They're not going to be let in. You could become, you could convert to Judaism, but it was a long, arduous process. Now, all of a sudden, the Messiah is saying, you have the rights of citizenship because of me. And you're no less any believer than anyone else. Family members of God's household, and we're all built into a holy temple, built together, not a group of individuals, but built together as a place for God to live. Now, doesn't that sound very familiar? Think about the garden. In fact, some have noted that the ancient account of the garden in with Adam and Eve, is that the garden itself would be somewhat of a temple where God would dwell with his creation and be with him. We know that he, he walked with them in the cool of the day. He called out to them. He had a relationship with them. But we all know the rest of that story. and We'll leave that for another time. But this is the idea. The idea here is that God wants to dwell with his people. The temple in Jerusalem itself was a place where heaven and earth would meet. However separated we were from God, okay, however separated, there, there, was, there was a place where a priest could go in and meet before God, bring sacraments for the, for the sins of the people, and heaven and earth would meet Ever how distant, but there was a place. Now he says it happens in Jesus and his people. Jesus and his people. See, we're no longer meant to be solo believers. We belong to God and we belong to each other. No matter how different we are, the battle is over. Our hateful and decisive prejudices have no place in his house or his family. And it's time for us to wake up to that. Think about the things that make you upset. That, that's a good indicator for, for where you are in life. What really gets your goat? What really gets you fired up? That's an indicator of where you are in your life. And right now, we have plenty to get upset about. You notice that? You ever kind of feel one edge a little bit? Just like it doesn't take very much. Like, okay, who drank the last Coke in the fridge? That's my big problem. Lose it. it things that don't seem to really matter because there's a, we feel that we're in some type of pressure cooker. And, and yet he calls us to do something different, right? Something different. To go into the world, a world torn and divided, and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news that Jesus has made a way for peace with God and with each other. So that's the promise. That's the idea. This is so important for us today. Because we live in such a electrically charged political environment, social environment, where it seems like all that is pointed out is our differences. 
Never in history in our country have we pointed out the differences of everyone continually all the time. Varying values clashing, flowing in every direction. And what do we do in that midst? Listen, it's easy to feel that you can be pulled away or washed away. It feels like a flood. It feels like a tsunami. But he says, I want you to buckle up together because in me, I have made a way for peace. Different is stronger. Sometimes we think that if we only could get around people who thought exactly like we do, then everything would be okay. But if everybody in the room is thinking exactly the same thing at the same time, only one person is necessary. Different is stronger. A recent study by a British scholar has concluded that if the Apostle Paul's house churches were comprised of about 30 people, this would have been the approximate makeup. A craft worker whose home that they would meet in, a wife, children, a couple of male slaves, a female domestic slave, and a dependent relative. Some tenants with families and slaves and dependents also living in the same home in rented rooms. Some family members of a household who himself does not participate in the house church, a couple of slaves whose owners do not attend, some freed slaves who do not participate in the church, a couple of homeless people, a migrant worker renting a small room in the home. And add to that in the mix of all the Jewish folks and enslaved prostitutes, there are many differences within the new church. This was something that the world hadn't seen apart from paganism. Because you would have somebody who was at the, in the church, someone who was at a high echelon of experience and culture and finance to all the way down to somebody who was homeless. And it's interesting that you find even that today. You see, the, the idea here is, is not that all of a sudden Jesus makes everything perfect and fair. What he does say is that it doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your social status is or is not. He says, in my house, you matter just as much as anybody else in that house, in that family. And that way he can bring peace. It's, just, it's, it's interesting to me, we want to try to make everything fair all the time. One of the, the things that you learn as a parent <clears throat> when your kids are growing up is you learn this phrase, well, that's not fair. I know. Most things in life are not fair. We should shoot for that, but... Why don't I have more hair? Can I resent some of you out there? That's, it's not fair. You know? I mean, tragically, there are those who suffer more than any of the rest of us. And that's truly a crime and a travesty. 
not an issue of being fair. It's an issue of following Christ. But here's the deal. There is a difference difference between who you were and a difference between the person you're becoming. You see, the church doesn't take its identity, doesn't take our identity, okay? Let's say you can have all of these diverse groups of people together in the church, but not one, one person's identity other than Jesus sets the standard. Well, I believe and think this way, and so I've come into Jesus, and now I want everybody in the church to change. No. None of us do that. No, none of us have the right to say that. You know why? You know why Jesus makes peace? Because we take on the identity of the Messiah's people. Hence, we take on his values, and they shape who we are and who we're becoming. And this means that there are things that we keep of who we are, and there are things that we let go. You see, this is the price of admission. He says, you have to come in by me. And if you come in by me, I will forgive you, and I will in no wise cast any of you out. I'll bring you in. But one thing for sure, it's my values and it's my way. That's the difference. And so we can come from all different walks of life, and he brings us peace by saying, this is the way I want you to do it from now on. Does that make sense? Amen? This is the way I want you to do it. And this is how so many of us from various backgrounds, I mean, I'm from another country. Many of you didn't know that because I, I lost my accent, but I'm, I'm from the country of Texas. I uh, was up in the mountains of northern New Mexico this past week. It was amazing. But there's a real stronghold and delegation of my people up there, and I thought they were going to capture me and take me back. <laughs> Diversity aims at fairness but unity in the spirit sets its sight on love. Unity in the spirit sets its sights on love. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love, being truly humble, being truly gen- gentle, and being patient is hard, isn't it? Why is so-and-so so obstinate? I can't stand them. Why do they think that way? Well, maybe find out. But as we learn to think like Jesus, the unity and patience and humility come together, don't they? On very, very common ground. It's hard work, but it's important work. Look at verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Work hard, make every effort, every effort to what end? To keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And I'm telling you, a word for, for now, for you and I in this country, in this fellowship, and with other believers, is this right now. Do everything you can to keep the unity of the faith. How do, how do uh, enemies conquer? 
by divide, right? Just get a bunch of believers talking bad about each other. A bunch of believers just getting bored and nothing to do, and so we start picking on each other. You ever seen, you go to the zoo and you see the monkeys? They're always picking on each other. And I could stand the, the, they call it grooming, but then they're putting it in their mouth. I'm thinking, you guys are gross. And I see that sometimes when I think of believers just sort of, get over here. Gross. Now's not the time to be gross. Now's the time to be unified. Unified, committed to each other. Committed to each other. I've talked about this a lot, so why should this Sunday be any different than any other? We have a choice in our political affiliation and what we believe and think. And a lot, I get a lot of people talking to me about their various opinions. And what I find is that, here's a common thread, I don't know how anybody could think that this person should be voted for, or how anybody could vote with this party, or that particular party, both. And I I, I can hear it, I can feel it, that sense of how, here's the big one, How can a Christian, how can someone who calls himself a Christian vote like that or vote for this person? Both sides. You hear that? That is a divide and conquer strategy that we must resist. Why? Because we're stronger the more different we are. I'm not talking about huge, big doctrinal issues. I'm not talking about lifestyle issues. I'm talking about that you and I, because there are different people in the fellowship who think differently than you do about various issues or the same issue, that if we come together in Christ, in his community, under his banner, under his values, then all of a sudden what happens? We become stronger, don't we? We become stronger, and we become, for the rest of the world, something to look at and to view, a real example of what God can do. Because the world can look at us and say, well, why are all of those people together? Why? What are they doing with each other? Aren't they supposed to be at odds? Well, we're supposed to be, but we're not. You'd like us to be, but we're not, because we found that in the culture that Jesus is creating, we're all welcome, all of us, even you. You're welcome to come and to receive his guidance, his love, his forgiveness, and that's the way it works. Verse 4, there's one body, one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Listen, 
Because we are bound together as one in unity in the Spirit. Our differences no longer are weaknesses, but they are strengths. Because we're bound, we're stronger. You ever have a big task that needs to be done? You ever find that you're always looking for someone to fit the particular task, someone who has the right qualifications or abilities that are usually not your own? Don't you find that you don't get huge jobs done by just having people who think exactly like you and have the same qualifications as you? It usually takes a wide variety of people. I think of just uh, what we do here uh, on the weekend with our um, staff here, from people who have uh, skills in sound and video and internet and uh, computers to musicians. They're, everyone has a different skill set and everyone is important. And we're stronger together, and that's just a simple example, but we're stronger together even if we think differently than each other. As long as we realize is that we are in Jesus and he sets the pace and he sets the tone. He sets the pace and he sets the tone. Now, this means that we become a model for the world. Beautiful passages in Revelation chapter 9, chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. For every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tribe, every nation. I'd like to read to you something a friend of mine wrote. He said, but we know from Revelation 7, 9 through 10, that God's aim has always been to use the capacity for unity that he placed within us to bring forth a people united in love, in obedience to him. One of humans greatest, humankind's greatest built-in strengths is the strength of unity. When we choose to exercise it, and God calls us in his word to exercise now in the church age, for the fulfillment of his ultimate mission to be reconciled to mankind. That means that we've got to get it right in the church first. We've got to get it right in the church first. And we've got to keep it right. You've got to be comfortable with some messiness. You've got to be comfortable with uh, uh, people who are sitting next to you or across from you. You got to get comfortable with that or we're never going to get anywhere and we're never going to be an example and we're never going to be as powerful as we could be. It's in our hearts and our private commitment to God 
And we ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we have these divisive tendencies. Things that are impeding us from really engaging with one another. See, I like, I feel more comfortable when <coughs> I'm around people who not only think like me, but I'm people who challenge me who think differently than I do, but they love the Lord. I smile because it's exciting. Now, you know, if you're just being um, obstinate and, and weird, well, I don't really like that. Nobody does. But if you, saw, if you thought something through, maybe there is something that we've been missing. And that's what God calls us to. Listen, we, we have to examine ourselves for jealousy, anger, bitterness, lack of forgiveness, bigotry. Cultural boundaries or norms that are comfortable to us. Politics, churchy theology, divisiveness, gossip, quick to judge those that are different. We have to examine those things because anything that divides weakens us and our mission to the world. Anything that would break that unity or divide from us being buckled up going through this together. And maybe it's complacency. Some people have asked me, Dave, what do you think the church is? And, and uh, who's going to our church anymore? I don't know. Are people learning to, to stay away and is it be more comfortable not coming to church and being around people anymore? And, and are, are they going to stop being Christians or just become nominal Christians that fade into the fabric of society. I don't know, but I'm telling you one thing, folks. It's not a time to separate. It's a time to be together. If ever there was a time to be together, it's now. Be it six feet apart or 12, with a mask, with hand sanitizer, we're still together. You're watching through the web. Glad you're here. Glad you're with us. Email us and let us know what God's going on in your life. We want to be, remain connected and we want to main, remain strong. The world is being tested. Do not make a mistake. In fact, all of us are being tested. And may God use that testing to strengthen us, to unify us, to serve his purpose in this world. Jesus brings peace where there once was no peace. Not on our terms. He makes peace on his own terms. And we become peaceful when we bend our knees to the king of peace. And until we accept his terms and provisions there will be no peace. I don't know where, where you are this morning. I, I just pray that you're encouraged by these words. If you need prayer after the service, we would love to pray for you and to, 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 to spend time with you, to minister to you. We have folks who are ready to do that. I'll be up here. But right now, we're getting ready to take communion. And so, 
just bow your heads with me, if you will. We're going to pray. And if you have something that you need to ask God for forgiveness for, do it. Ask him for forgiveness. Let him fill your heart. Do the business with God that you need to do. And come to the table where he has invited anyone who will come. Anyone who will come to his table, he will in no wise cast out. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And we ask for forgiveness, Lord, for the things that we've done, Lord, that are against you, that we know they're known disobedience from attitude to action or both. We ask for forgiveness, Lord. We ask for forgiveness, Lord, for the things that you've called us to do and we haven't done it. Lord, we pray that you would give us opportunity to repent and to do what you've called us to do. Most of all, Lord, we're thankful for your grace and your kindness, especially, Lord, during this time. To feel your presence, to know that you are guiding us is precious, precious to us. Keep us together, Lord. Make us strong. In Jesus' name. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.